everyone, my name is Maria Thomas and I work for Allianz Research, a global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Suber. Over the past few months, we've seen central banks in advanced economies raise interest rates for the first time in years to cope with record-breaking inflation. So in this special season of tomorrow, we wanted to look at the end of zeronomics. What will the new era of higher interest rates mean for the global economy and capital markets, households and companies? Let's find out with the experts from Allianz Research. Rising interest rates have created a volatile market, but what lies ahead for equities and corporate bonds? We find out in this episode with Andy Jobst, Head of Macroeconomic and Capital Markets Research, and Jordi Basco-Carrera, Lead Investment Strategist. Hello, Andy and Jordi. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Maria, for having us. Thanks, Maria. So let's start by looking at how the accelerating monetary tightening by the U.S. Federal Reserve and, to a lesser extent, the ECB has affected markets. Andy, can you tell us about this? Sure, pleasure. We've been uh, looking at this quite quite intensively over the last few months. Uh, obviously, the recent developments have, have, have raised our attention even more. Um, as you know, we, we've seen some acceleration in the pace of monetary tightening, especially in the U.S., and um, you know, that has certainly made funding more expensive uh, in markets. And uh, that has an implication, obviously, on the way assets are being priced, in particular government bonds. But and that has resulted in an unprecedented degree of interest rate volatility. Um, so um, a, a particular note um, is liquidity in the in the market for U.S. Treasuries, we've seen uh, liquidity drop quite significantly um, over the last few weeks, uh, and that, of course, is um, is worrying us in a market that's probably to be the most liquid market in the world, um, and uh, that has been amplified by you know what uh, what happens uh, around the world and how people uh, treat their U.S. dollar. Uh, investments, U.S. treasuries are being dumped by, for instance, emerging market central banks because they want to shore up their own currencies, as a result of which, um, you know, uh, it drives up yields even more uh, and pushes down prices, uh, adding to volatility. Uh, in a nutshell, as the recent turmoil in the, in the U.K. guild market has demonstrated, uh, we've seen some fractures in markets, uh, in a market where fractures usually don't happen. In the most liquid market, U.S. Treasuries, government bond markets in general, and and in many ways we see the beginnings of aspects of markets that are that that are akin to to periods we would otherwise see in in, in times of stress. And and let me leave you with one remark, which is, as much as we've um, thought that we're behind, you know, these liquidity spirals we see during the global financial crisis. Uh, we very much see that happening again uh, with the high volatility and higher funding costs um, uh, translating into um, you know market ruptures, uh, which are amplified by leverage and concentration risk. So we are um, becoming exceedingly worried about that. So what explains the high volatility in government bond markets right now? Uh, in our recent paper, we've we've identified in a way three three factors. Uh, on the one hand, 
the, as central banks become more hawkish, as they try to catch up, uh, uh, realizing that inflation is more persistent than originally expected, the central banks markets are now testing the central bank's commitment to pursue a more aggressive tightening path. And that has pushed up yields uh, to levels we haven't seen in the last two decades, both in normal and real terms. So um, by 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 um, anticipating uh, further increases in yields, that adds to that volatility because we're coming off a a level of very high bond prices. So if bond prices adjust from a very high level, any small change has an outsized effect on yields. Uh, the second one is convexity effects, um, and uh, I've alluded that already. So small changes, we've seen dramatic changes in rates, but even small changes in rates from historically low levels will cause outsized changes in valuations, and that's called con con generally convexity effect. And we've seen that happening. So we've not only seen small changes in rates, but rather large changes in rates and expectations thereof, and there's a huge effect on on prices, hence the volatility. And the third one, the third element I would point out is um, market liquidity. Uh, we've seen that even in the U.S. Treasuries market, the trading volumes have declined significantly, and uh, that is to some extent also related to the fact that market makers, it's you know the U.S. Treasury market, like government bond markets in general, uh, are order-driven markets, so they depend on market makers. And if those market makers don't have sufficient access to liquidity and safe collateral, uh, then uh, that increases bid-ask spreads and that drives up uh, volatility uh, and uh, reduces liquidity in markets. So that, in a way, um, these three elements, markets testing central banks, the convexity and the market liquidity, are really at the core of the liquidity we're seeing at the moment. So what are the implications for other asset classes where liquidity squeezes might have an even higher impact? When it comes to other asset classes, and especially if we focus on corporate credit and equity markets, we have actually seen that those asset classes have exhibited and continue to exhibit a massive dependence on changes in monetary policy expectations. To put it into context, every time that the central bank hikes more than expected or communicates on a hawkisher or dovisher not than expected, then this actually reverberates into, um, um, let's say, big swaths in market pricing and overall, uh, because of the hawkish tendency, we have seen a, a quite of a structural underperformance of risky assets um, during um, this year. We would have to really go back to several decades to basically find the situation in which sovereigns, corporates, and equity markets have underperformed, uh, underperformed at a unison and to such an extent. Of course, when you have such a bear market or such a bearish market, there's liquidity cracks that are appearing in capital markets. And we have seen uh, also um, this sort of problem happening in corporate and 
equity markets. In the case of corporates, we have actually quantified the effect of this, let's call it liquidity squeeze in this market. And it comes to about 10 to 30 basis points for the case of investment grade, and then to 30 to 60 basis points for the case of high yield, which means that basically investors investing in those asset classes and those rating buckets are paying a premium because the market is not really liquid. This also happens in the case of equity, especially when you go to small caps and also when you go to um, private markets, let's call it uh, private equity or, or other private markets. So the liquidity problems, liquidity squeezes, liquidity premium that we have seen in the sovereign market, we also find right now in um, riskier assets or in the risk, uh, riskier spectrum of asset classes. So will things get worse before they get better? What is your outlook for the remainder of 2022 and 2023? So if we look at um, 2022 and 2023 and how the outlook looks like, what we see is that um, despite having a bit of abating inflation, now in the case of the US, in the Eurozone, we haven't seen this, we don't think that one data point is enough to grant a reversal in the market trend, which means that until we have clarity about the policy path, about the quantitative tightening, and about some other macroeconomic factors, markets are going to remain extremely dependent on changes in expectations and on the news flow. Because of that, and according to our scenario, the next six months are still going to remain extremely, extremely volatile, which means that be it for sovereigns, but also be it for corporates and equities, it is hard to claim that there's going to be a reversal in the trend. Because of that, we still expect a lot of volatility within the next three to six months. Now, afterwards, if we look beyond um, these three to six months, we should have a bit more information about the policy path, about if there's going to be a policy stop, if there's going to be a policy pivot, we will have a bit more clarity. And in that moment, we believe that then there's going to be a bit of a structural reversal of the trend and then assets will uh, perform uh, better than, than in 2022 and, but not at the rate of 2021 or 20 or post COVID 2020. We expect returns to be moderate, but positive in 2023 across uh, all the asset classes. Okay. So that leads to my last question, which is what are the policy implications of this particular situation? What can central banks do? Thank you, Maria. That, that's a great question. Um, the, obviously the, the, Volatility uh, we see at the moment, and in particular recent events such as uh, the UK guild disaster, um, have led a lot of people to jump to uh, more market uh, regulation. Uh, but I find you know a, that uh, many proposals have have demonstrated a, a poor understanding of the market microstructure. As I've alluded before. Government bond markets or audit-driven markets, um, uh, quarter-driven markets, excuse me. Uh, that means the, the the market makers are very important, and you cannot move government bond trading entirely onto exchanges, which people have argued for. Uh, I, I do, however, believe that a lot can be done in terms of market structure 
uh, and uh, that has on government bond market side, and that has uh, a huge indirect benefits to less liquid markets such as corporate bonds, um, and that means strengthening the repo market, uh, which provides the liquidity market makers need. And if I take for Europe, Europe for instance, um, in Europe, uh, uh, most repo trades that support uh, market making are bilateral, uh, and uh, and in and, and the counterparties uh, in their transactions have limited access to central bank money. Uh, and so uh, what does it exactly mean? Uh, the availability of, of collateral to have uh, a resilient repo market will become, uh, has been and will continue to be crucially important. Uh, and this collateral scarcity we've seen in repo markets during QE, when uh, Central banks uh, would buy uh, lots of uh, public paper um, uh, to um, uh, keep uh, yields down and uh, to um, uh, support the wealth and asset price channel. But now that we are going to a period of financial tightening, right, then uh, we have excess liquidity that finds itself back into the market um, and um, uh, however, still a lot of government paper sits on central bank balance sheets. So market makers that rely on repo transactions and repo transactions requiring collateral, which remains on the central bank balance sheets by and large, um, uh, creates a competition for, for, for safe collateral. So what central banks can do, obviously, uh, is to, in the spirit of uh, addressing the financial stability implications of tightening going forward, that they that they pay careful attention to what uh, the current pace of rate hikes would do to market functioning by making making uh, securities safe collateral more readily available, more accessible uh, uh, to address the collateral scarcity we see in markets. So, more collateral, more safe collateral by way of government bonds. Uh, would make market making more efficient, would place greater liquidity in markets where liquidity is needed, and the result of which avoids those volatility spikes we've seen we've seen uh, recently. Uh, and the second element to this uh, is also uh, another element of the central bank policy toolkit, which is uh, the collateral framework. So the way. Um, uh, government uh, central banks can lend to the market. So widening the collateral eligibility uh, for accessing central bank money uh, can boost liquidity uh, in, in those corners of the capital market uh, that are most at risk when liquidity squeezes occur, such as corporate debt. And at the moment, uh, that collateral eligibility is bro broadly circumscribed by uh, criteria that that, that favor government paper, uh, but making uh, also uh, corporate bonds uh, more, more eligible can certainly help, um, especially if those come with uh, a lower haircut. So the, in a way, a, the, um, a discount central banks apply in accepting those securities to uh, get liquidity. So all in all, central banks have a crucially important role to play. Uh, they would play a role in both making safe collateral available, which then uh, uh, support market making based on uh, more efficient repo trades, and at the same time also making um, 
uh, widening the collateral eligibility would help uh, shore up the liquidity in those markets where we've seen liquidity dry up. Okay. Thank you very much, Andy and Jordi. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode.